0: Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for FBC Keller Media in the iTunes Store. And now, here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word in hand now, and let's turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Remember, Ephesians is really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus. And so, we're in chapter 4, verse 11 through 16 this morning. We're in the midst of a 12-week study concerning the local church. And this morning, we're going to examine another of those commitments of church membership and that of service. When you hear the word service, you are likely to have an image that's evoked depending on your personal life experiences. Those of you who wore a uniform served in our military sometimes say things like, I was in the service. Those of you who enjoy British television might conjure up images of a Victorian castle and its staff, the service staff. And those of you who grew up attending Baptist churches like I did think of a service as that hour when the church gathers together corporately to sing praises and hear the the word of God. However, none of those meanings is what the Apostle Paul has in mind in his letter to the church at Ephesus. So let's Read the text, Ephesians 4, I'll begin reading in verse 11. Speaking of Jesus, Paul says, He gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children carried here and there by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper workings of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building of itself. And love. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now here in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul, as I said, is addressing one local church, but the application extends to all Christians. He's laid out a beautiful list in the first three chapters of blessings that are available to all believers as a result of our relationship to Jesus Christ. I am not going to belabor those blessings or those points because it's been less than two years since we finished our verse-by-verse study through the book of Ephesians, you can certainly go back and listen to those sermons if you'd like, uh, via our podcast. But this morning I want to concentrate our attention on verse 12 and specifically a phrase within verse 12 and that is works of service. When we studied these verses last time we concentrated on the gifts, and today I want to concentrate on the works of service. And I want to do so by asking three simple diagnostic questions about those works of service and we'll attempt to answer those questions from the scriptures. Now, Works of service is really from one Greek word, diakonos, which as you might guess is where we get the word deacon. It's a servant. It's a household servant, one who waits tables. It's one who who gives service to other people. And so that's the, the root word here, diakonos. It means ministry. In fact, in some of your translations, rather than works of service, it might say works of ministry or simply ministry. It means the same thing. So the first diagnostic question is who? Who are to do? these works of service? Well, he answers this question. He says, the saints are to do these works of service. Some of you might say at this point, glad he's not talking to me today. I'm off the hook. Well, uh, we even have a self-deprecating saying in our culture. Someone will say, I'm no saint. We hear that all the time. Well, if you're not a saint, then you're not a Christian at all. Because the word saint simply means one who has been made Holy, Now, that's a beautiful way of talking about our salvation. Sometimes we'll say we were saved on such and such a date, or we came to faith, but it's just as accurate to say we were made holy by the blood of, of Christ. The Greek word for holy is hagios. It's found 235 times in the New Testament. And when it's used as an adjective, it is translated most often as the English word holy, and when it is used as a noun, as it is here in Ephesians 4, it is often translated saint. Now, I know what you mean when you say I'm no saint. It means you're not perfect. I still sin. Well, that is true. It's true of your pastor. But when we have been saved and redeemed by one who is sinless and holy, and because we are in Christ, the scripture says through our blessed reunion with him, God, the father sees every Christian as his holy ones as saints. Now there's two kinds of righteousness, the Bible speaks of forensic righteousness. That is righteousness that is imputed to us. We are not inherently righteous people. In fact, we are inherently sinners. We are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. But Jesus, who is inherently righteous, imputes that righteousness to us at the cross for all who believe in Him. And then He begins to make us practically righteous. That is, He separates us from sin over a long period of time, our lifetime, and makes us what he wants us to be. That's called sanctification. And you are within then your realm of truth to refer to yourself as Saint John or Saint Susie. I don't recommend you do that because of cultural implications, but you'd be within your rights to do that. We've been saved, we've been redeemed, and a saint is simply a person whose sins have been forgiven by faith alone, through Christ alone. So with the definition of saint firmly established, I hope the answer to our first diagnostic question, who should perform works of service, the answer is simply every believer. Every believer should perform works of service. Now, this is a common misunderstanding. Many people believe that they pay the pastors to perform the works of ministry so that they are free to work. Well, let's look at that. Look at verse 11. He says, He gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, Pastors and teachers, comma, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. See, the primary task of pastors is not to do all the ministry, but to equip the saints, all of you, to do the ministry. Now, that does not exclude the pastors from doing works of service, because after all, pastors are also members of the church. But neither is it their exclusive responsibility. And so, the question is, how are you equipped? The Bible says you are equipped by the Word of God the Word of God. That's why we insist every time we come together, I say open the Word of God. I don't say open Reader's Digest or today's newspaper or my autobiography if I had one. I say open the Word of God. This is what is unchanging, what is active and alive and sharper than a two-edged sword. Now, um, that leads us to our second diagnostic question. To whom is this service done? He says in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So, every saint is to render service to every other saint, so that the body of Christ would be built up. So, we owe this service to the body. The body, as you know, is just another way of saying the church. The New Testament uses metaphors such as a body, such as a building to describe the church, meaning that it's made up of many component parts, but there's also a corporate element. It's another way of saying the church, and I take it the local church. The local church is where you meet with other people, you exercise your spiritual gifts in the context of mutual accountability. These people that make up the church primarily are the ones that you're called to serve as Christian. Of course, we are also called to minister to those outside of the church, to lost people, but we have a special obligation Remember last week we called that a duty, right? We have a duty, if you will, to those in the church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, that is regardless if they're Christian or not, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. This week I had the privilege of traveling down to Houston and visiting with some of the churches that are giving ministry there to those who'd lost homes in Hurricane Harvey. And as I I was visiting with the pastor there, I was just impressed that he was uh, so anxious to serve these people in the community, most of whom did not know the Lord as Savior, so that he would have the platform and the opportunity to share his faith. And we sent down uh, several tons of food and clothing last week to assist in this outreach in the Fifth Ward of Houston. But what I am most pleased about is that every family which now numbers over 4,200 families in the past three weeks that they've been able to minister to, have had the gospel of Jesus Christ shared personally with them. And we thank the Lord for that. Now what then are to be these works of service? If we, that is the body, every one of us, owes service to one another, what are these works of service? Well, I've simply defined them as this. Works of service are actions designed and intended to edify the saints. Actions designed to edify the saints. Now, uh, edification means to build up. Now, I saw uh, last week we did together that uh, flattery is not edification. Flattery is inflating another person's ego so that you can manipulate them more easily to get what you want. Edification is when you build another person up so that they reap the benefits, not you. And so edification... The word edifice simply means building, doesn't it? To build up. This phrase is used a hundred times in the New Testament. That is uh, to to build up. And another phrase that's used many times is the one another passages in the Scripture. We've talked about this for the last several weeks. Did you know that one third of the one another passages have to do with unity? By the way, that is the context here in chapter 4. For three chapters, Paul lays out this laundry list of blessings that we enjoy as Christians, now he says in chapter 4, here's how that is applied. Look what he says, verse 1, chapter 4, Therefore, I the prisoner of the Lord implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's the context that he's talking about serving one another because it preserves unity. Here's some examples. Mark 9:50, he says, "Be at peace with one another." Romans 15:7, "Accept one another." Ephesians 4:32, "Forgive one another." One of the great themes of the New Testament is perseverance. Peter says that we're to view our lives as a pilgrimage, as a journey that we really don't belong here. The reason Christians often feel out of place is because we are out of place. This world is not our home. But thanks be to God, as we travel that dangerous and narrow path that leads to heaven, we are not alone. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, and we have a local church family, First Baptist Church of Keller to help us. And we need to stay together, because after all, this world is a dark and a dangerous path, and our enemy is real. Satan is alive. Scripture says he's a roaring lion, roaming about, seeking who he can destroy. So, the last thing we need to do is turn on one another. We need to stay together in unity. And we do that by consistently serving one another. Another third of these one another passages have to do with loving one another. We studied that last week, didn't we? Did you know there are six different New Testament books that each command Christians to love one another? Now, you'll note that that doesn't mean we simply live and let live. A lot of people think that's what love is, live live and let live. Not according to what Paul says here. You'll note that he says that we are, verse 15, to speak the truth in love. It means we love one another to have an expectation that all of us are making progress in sanctification. And if one or more of us is not making progress in sanctification, we have to love one another enough to point out the reasons why, whether it is overt sin, or whether it is not choosing the best but we do that of course in an atmosphere of love and not judgment. Last week we saw from Romans 13 that there will never come a time this side of heaven that we will cease to be obligated to to love one another in the local church. Paul said remember that we are to owe nothing except to love. We will never come to a point where we paid off our love debt. In a similar way, I think he's saying here that we will never come a time when we cease to have the obligation to serve one another. Now where do I get that? He says, until, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of faith, we are to serve one another until every member of the church comes to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Until every member of the church is fully mature, we should serve one another. Now, folks, I think that means always because I have been a member of a Baptist church for about 40 years and I've never seen one yet that fit that description where every member was absolutely, totally mature. And so I think what Paul is saying in a different way is until we die, until Jesus comes for His church, we are to serve one another. And there's just a practical reason for that. In every healthy church, there are members at every point of maturity on the continuum of sanctification. And so if if all you had was a a church full of absolutely mature Christians, wouldn't it stand to reason that those absolutely mature Christians are doing evangelism? And if those absolutely mature Christians are doing evangelism, that means there's new Christians coming to the church all the time, which means that there's someone at the other end of the continuum. But the truth is, there are people at every point of the continuum of sanctification. And until all of us reach maturity, we owe one another Christian service. We will never retire from serving one another. Finally, let's look at our third diagnostic question, and that is, whose church is it? This is a free answer, you know this, right? This is the Lord's church. This is no man's church, this is Christ's church. Paul says that Christ is the head. Now, even though the members of the church are not all mature, Christ is. He is perfect in every way. And we are to grow up into Christ. Sometimes we'll say of a a gangly adolescent, if he ever grows into his feet, he's going to be a giant, right? Well, we can say of the church, if we ever grow into our head, we'll be tough to deal with for Satan, won't we? Because Jesus is our head and he is fully and complete in every way. We simply are the component parts of the church. Now, don't diminish that because each component part is important in its own way. That's why Paul says, The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need to you, or the hand to the foot, I have no need of you. Every part is essential. There are no throwaways within the church, there are no um, appendages that are unnecessary. Every part of the church is essential. And when any one part of the church is not functioning or not growing, the entire church suffers. Now, look what he says again, verse 15, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head of even Christ. Now, we saw last week in Romans chapter 12, this laundry list of uh, markers as it relates to sanctification. Remember, there are over 20 exhortations in Romans chapter 12. And I told you last week that when you read Romans chapter 12, one verse will be encouraging, because you can see progress there. And then the next verse will say, I haven't made any progress there, and it can be uh, somewhat depressing. But all in all, you have a template, a measuring stick, if you will, to see if you're making progress in sanctification. Well, what Paul is indicating here is that you can't rest on your laurels if you've made progress in several, but no progress in the other. He says we are to grow up in all, are in every aspect into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, note the specific roles in the growth process. He says, we, the saints, the Christians, are the ones who grow and grow together. Would you agree with that? Jesus has no need to mature spiritually. He's altogether perfect in and of himself. It's the saints who do the growing. But it is Christ who causes the growth. It's what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He says that I planted, Apollos watered, and God gives the increase. It is God who causes the growth. When I was a young pastor and I came to understand this truth, that it was not up to me to grow the church, I'm telling you, it was a, a time of joy and freedom and celebration that I did not have to grow the church. That that was the Lord's purposes. But the means, hear this clearly, the means that God brings about growth is the faithful service of His people to one another. God is a sovereign God, but God uses means to accomplish His purposes. And the means that God uses to bring about sanctification individually and corporately in His churches Is when each member is exercising their gifts for His glory. Which means this, you have a responsibility to every other member of this church to help them make progress in sanctification. Our sanctification is a group effort. We tend to think of sanctification as a very individualized thing. Are you making progress? Are you growing? Well, That depends on if you're part of a local church. Depends on if people are serving and using their gifts. Now, one of the greatest commitments of church membership, and we're studying six of them over the next month and a half, one of the great commitments of church membership is the commitment to serve one another for the glory of Christ. So I've asked you three questions. May I ask you one more? How are you serving and when we talk to our friends who go to other churches, we talk about church life, we sometimes ask a good question. We say, are you being fed at your church? Which means is the Word of God being rightly divided? That, that's an important question because you need to be fed because that's how you're equipped to do the work of ministry. But maybe a better question, or at least as important a question is, how are you serving in your local church? I, I get probably 200 solicitations a year from outside ministries who want to have this platform just for an hour. And and they all say the same thing. Give us an hour and we'll transform your church. And and you know, most of those go straight into file 13. But occasionally someone will actually come in person and say, "Can, can I bring my program to your church? And you know what I ask them every time? Tell me how you're serving in your local church. Who's your pastor? What's his name? Can I call him and say, is this person serving faithfully in their church before they come to our church and serve? And and that ought to be true of all of us. That ought to be an easy question to answer for any pastor. How is that person serving in your church? Let me just give you a few ways that you can serve in our church. There are hundreds We have about 200 children any given Sunday that need teachers. We have nearly that many preschoolers. We have about 150 youth that need leaders, not only on Sunday, but on Wednesdays as well and through the week. We have a very large group of senior adults, many of whom are no longer able to physically travel. And we go to their homes and take them to sermons on tape and minister to them. We have 11 nursing homes that we have worship services in every week, many of which have members of ours who live there. We have um, 12 committees at any one time that need new members. We have dozens of greeters and ushers and counselors here. We have over 140 widow women in our church. And our deacons do a marvelous job of attending to them and their needs, but there are always other needs. And by the way, some of the most effective ministry in the local church, some of the best ways to serve don't have to have a formal ministry title. Some of the the best ministry that we do in the church is is grassroots. When you see a need and you meet it. It's what the Apostle uh, Apostle John said we saw last week in 1 John. If you see a brother in need and don't do anything about it, how does the love of God dwell in you? And those are not only financial needs, but other kinds of physical needs or emotional needs. If you see a need, meet it. And then there are auxiliary ministries. We have two crisis pregnancy centers in the area that always need volunteers. Food pantry. On and on I could go. Now last week, I bragged on you a little bit. Do you remember? Talked about how generous you all are, and you are. I stand amazed all the time. But uh, not going to do that today. Remember what he says, that we're to grow up into all aspects we're making good progress in generosity, but one area, and I take the blame for this for not emphasizing enough, I did a couple weeks ago, is prayer. I was up here yesterday afternoon walking the building and praying and I walked by down on the north end, the first hallway on the right, and I walked by room, room number 144. And on the door there was a sign that said prayer room. And I went inside and there was a little piece of paper there, this is it. And this was last week, September 24th through 30th. There are spaces every hour, seven days a week. Do you see how many names are on there? Three. We have 2,400 members in our church. And we had three people who signed up to pray last week. Now, I'm going to assume more than three of you prayed last week, okay? But this is the prayer ministry of our church. We have set aside a room. It's well appointed, comfortable where there's a prayer list, there's a notepad. You can come, missionaries from all over the world, send prayer requests by email. All you have to do is come up here for 15 minutes to 30 minutes or an hour a day, once a week, once a month, once a quarter, whatever you're willing to give, and serve one another by praying for one another. One of the most important one another is to pray for one another. We can do better, can't we? Um, I know we can because I've put next week's sign up sheet out on the welcome desk <laughs> with a pen right on top of it. And when we say amen here in about 10 minutes, just form a line to the right <laughs> and, and take. And if you can't come up here, take 15 minutes, 30 minutes at home and say, for this time period, I'm going to pray. There's no reason why we shouldn't fill up this sheet before we go home here today. All right? That didn't cost you anything extra. That's just because I love you, okay? Well, let's conclude by saying this. There may be a person here today. You say, Pastor, I'm not serving the church because I'm not part of the church. I'm not saved. I've never given my heart and life to Christ. You can today. You can today. Every person who's here is just a sinner saved by grace if they're a Christian. Every saint here is not a saint because they perform three verified miracles. They are here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And if you will repent of your sins... Call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved and you can leave here today a saint of the living God. I call upon you to do that as we pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word and Father, uh, we have uh, been confronted again by your word that calls us to grow up into every aspect into our head, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we rejoice in the areas where we've made progress and yet Lord, we know there's much to do. I confess, I've not emphasized prayer enough here. Forgive me of that. And with your help moving forward, Lord, it will be a greater emphasis here. Lord, I pray that you'd put on the heart of some people today to become part of our prayer ministry. And Father, I pray that it would not just be a one-time thing, but Lord, that we would be known in this community and in this state as being people of prayer. Lord, we need you. Uh, The task is too great. The problems are are too big for us. But with you, Lord, all things are possible. Equip us, Father. Lead us by the Spirit through prayer, we pray. Lord, I pray that every member of our church would take to heart their calling, their duty, their obligation to serve every other member of the church. Lord, we know when every member serves every other member, the church is a beautiful thing to behold. We pray that would be the case here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen